The Protestant Reformation, then and now, takes you on an exciting spiritual journey that explores church history in the 1500s, Bible prophecy in these last days, and the mighty issues facing each one of us today as we await the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Enjoy these eye-opening presentations with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. Hello everyone, and greetings from Whitehorse Media. This is part nine of a 10-part series on the Protestant Reformation then and now. Part nine is a big one. It's called End Time Reform and the Mark of the Beast. Dear God, we pray in the name of Jesus, you've blessed so far all of these programs, and we ask earnestly that your Holy Spirit will be here right now and teach us the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. The Protestant Reformation took place in the 1500s. Martin Luther, a German monk, professor, priest, and pastor, ignited the spark in the year 1517 when he publicly protested against the Roman Catholic practice of selling indulgences for the forgiveness of sins. Essentially, in a nutshell, the Protestant Reformation was a bold movement to lead people back to the Bible and back to Jesus Christ and away from Roman Catholic traditions that were contrary to God's holy word. As the Reformation grew, it spread all over Europe and the battle was intense. A lot of people lost their lives. They were burned at the stake. Between the years 1545 and 1563, the Roman Catholic Church responded by holding its own major counter-Reformation council in the city of Trent in northern Italy. At the Council of Trent, the Catholic Church officially condemned the Reformation and many Protestant doctrines, especially the Protestant doctrine that Christians should follow the Bible above the traditions of men. The Council of Trent clarified that Christians should respect both the Bible and what they called sacred tradition. But here's a critical point. That council said that whenever there's a conflict between tradition and scripture, tradition came first. Then on January 18, in the year 1562, at the opening of the 17th session of the Council of Trent, the Archbishop of Reggio made a very famous speech in which he openly declared that tradition stood above the Bible. In that speech, he said that the Protestant position of standing by the Bible alone wasn't valid. And then he said that not even Protestants themselves really followed that position. And what proof did the Archbishop offer that Protestants themselves didn't really follow the Bible alone? Are you ready for this? His proof was this, that Protestants were still following a Roman Catholic tradition by keeping Sunday as a day of worship, which really comes from the Roman Catholic Church itself. Instead of keeping the true Bible Sabbath on the seventh day, which is Saturday. These are the exact words from the Archbishop. He said, quote, the Sabbath has been changed by the authority of the church. 
So let me summarize. In the 1500s, it was Protestants versus Catholics. Protestants said, we follow the Bible. We follow the Bible first, above Catholic traditions. At the Counter-Reformation's Council of Trent, the Catholic Church condemned Protestants by saying, you Protestants say a person should put the Bible above the church, but you really don't do that. How do we know that? The proof is that the Roman Catholic Church changed the Bible Sabbath into Sunday, not by any command of Jesus, but by its own authority. And now the Catholic Church said, you Protestants are keeping our day. Therefore, you are really following the Roman Catholic Church still, so you should come back home to the Mother Church. Thus, the Roman Catholic Church used Protestant Sunday-keeping as one of their main arguments against the Protestant Reformation. Now, check this out. In a letter dated October 28, 1895, a famous American Roman Catholic cardinal named Cardinal Gibbons made another amazing statement. Quote, he said, of course, the Catholic Church claims that the change from Sabbath to Sunday was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and her authority in religious matters. Well, thus the Roman Catholic Church claims that because Christians all over the world go to church every week on Sunday as their main day of worship, and because Sunday keeping really is their own tradition, rather than coming from a direct statement of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, they claim that Sunday is a mark of her authority as the true church. Now let's go back to Bible prophecy. Let's go to the book of Revelation, and let's tie this in with what the Bible says about the mark of the beast. Turn to Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. In a previous program, we've talked about how in these verses, we see messages being given by three angels all over the world right before Jesus Christ returns in the clouds of heaven. These messages represent God's final call to people worldwide to be reformed in their thinking and in their practices so that people can be ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's true there was indeed a Reformation in the 1500s, but history tells us that that Reformation didn't go far enough. Many Roman Catholic traditions still remain in Protestant churches, such as the false doctrine of the immortal soul, which I talked about in the last two programs, and in the practice of keeping Sunday, which we studied carefully in programs five and six. Now we're going to go back to the three angels' messages and discuss the mark of the beast. As I mentioned, the three angels are found in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up and to follow closely with me. In verse 7, we have the conclusion of the first angel's message. And these are the words of God. The angel said with a loud voice, quote, Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So the first angel concludes with a clear clarion call to all human beings to worship the maker 
of heaven and earth. Now then in verse 9, the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. The third angel's message is a very, very solemn message. And notice it is an appeal to human beings not to worship the beast and his image or to get the mark. Now, look carefully. The word worship is used in verse 7 and in verse 9. Verse 7 says, worship him that made heaven and earth. And then verse 9 says, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark. So worship is used twice. And we see that worship is really a core critical issue. In these verses, we're told that people have a choice. They can worship the creator or they can worship the beast and get its deadly mark. The warning about the mark of the beast is issued in verses 9, verse 10, and verse 11. At the end of verse 11, it talks again about those who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Now, in verse 12, we have a description of people who don't get the mark. These are people who are called saints. This is what the Bible says. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. As I talked about in program five, when you look at the 10 commandments, there is only one commandment about worshiping the creator and it's commandment number four. It's the command of God for human beings to keep the seventh day Sabbath holy. And again, verse seven says, worship the creator. Verse 12 says, keep the commandments. And the only commandment about the creator is the one about the seventh day. Now I'm gonna turn the pages of my Bible back to Exodus chapter 20. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to do the same thing. And we're gonna read carefully the fourth commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses eight to 11. Here is what the Bible says. This is God's fourth commandment. Verse eight, the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath, not of the Jews, but of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You nor your son nor your daughter, your manservant nor your maidservant, nor your cattle nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You know, when Moses came down off the mountain, he didn't come down with 10 suggestions. He came down with 10 commandments. And what you've just heard is commandment number four. And it's critical to realize that verse 11, that says, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all that in them is, is basically quoted by the first angel's message. The first angel says, worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. 
So the first angel quotes the fourth commandment. And again, this is not one of God's suggestions. It's one of his commandments. And verse 10 is very clear. So there shouldn't be any confusion about this. Verse 10 says, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. But Roman Catholic tradition says, well, yeah, that's true. The seventh day was the Sabbath of the Lord, but we changed that by our authority. We changed it into Sunday. And then they say Sunday is a mark of our authority, that the church and its traditions are above the Bible. So we ask, could the Roman Catholic Church be the beast? Could Sunday be the real mark of the beast? I imagine some of you have never heard this idea before. This may be a a radical thought. Maybe you've heard that the mark of the beast is some sort of high-tech microchip that will one day be inserted under the skin of people's foreheads and hands. Just this morning, I read an article on the internet that said, quote, if you believe the conspiracy theories, we will all be secretly microchipped by the end of next year. It may sound like an Orwellian nightmare, but the technology to implant RFID chips into human beings and track their every move has been there for years. RFID stands for radio frequency identification and uses electromagnetic fields to automatically identify and track tags attached to objects, including an implanted chip. A growing conspiracy theory claims we will all soon be chipped through vaccination programs or at birth and be forced to use a microchip instead of money. The most extreme claim ties all of this in with religious conspiracy theorists who say that the implanted RFID chip will stand for the mark of the beast, as referred to in the last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. I know this is a common theory, but the question is, is it really biblical? This morning I went on to the internet, and I went on to Google, and I typed in the words, the mark of the beast, and guess how many hits I got? It was exactly 163 million. Now, let me ask you, how many of those websites do you think that we need to go to to really understand what the mark of the beast is? Personally, I don't think we need to go to any of them, although some of them hopefully can be helpful. God doesn't want us to do our theology by Google. He wants us to do our theology by studying the Bible. And here's a critical point. The mark of the beast is a biblical teaching. It's mentioned eight times in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It is in the three angels' messages. And it's critical to realize that the only way to really put the pieces together to understand what the mark of the beast actually is, is by closely studying the three angels' messages, because they really define what the mark is and what the real issues are in these last days. And again, Revelation 14, verse 7 says, Worship him that made heaven and earth. That's part of the first angel's message. And then verse 9, which is the third angel's message, says, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark. So according to the Bible, the primary issue is not technology. The primary issue is worship. That's the real divide between those who are on God's side 
and those who are on the side of the beast. Verse 11 also warns in the third angel's message about getting the mark. And then verse 12 lists the people or describes the people who are in the safety zone, people who are not on the side of the beast, who are not on the side of the image, and who don't get the mark. And they are described as people that keep the commandments of God and who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. And again, when you look at the Ten Commandments, open up your Bibles to Exodus 20, read verses 8 to 11, it's a fact that there is only one commandment about the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it, and that is the command to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. When I was a kid, I used to love jigsaw puzzles. I would find some puzzle of a picture of a lake or a car or a boat, and I would spread all the puzzles out in front of me. And it would take me a long time, but little by little, I would put the pieces together until the image of what I was making became clear in front of me. And dear friend, it's the same thing with the Bible and with Bible prophecy and with the three angels' messages and with the topic of the mark of the beast. If we really want to understand what this issue is all about, we need to put the pieces together right from God's word, not from those 163 million websites that I found on Google. And when you really put the pieces together based on the Bible, based on the first angel, the call to worship the creator, the third angel, the warning about worshiping the beast and getting the mark, the conclusion of the third angel about keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, and you realize that the only commandment about the Creator is the Sabbath, and you realize that the beast changed the Sabbath into Sunday and claims it as a mark of their authority. When you put these pieces together, it's very clear. The image becomes very, very clear. The issue in the three angels' messages is God and his Sabbath versus the mark of the beast. Now, back to the Reformation. When you look at history, it's a fact that the vast majority of Protestant reformers, including Martin Luther, as they studied prophecy, they did finally conclude that the Roman Catholic Church system was the beast pinpointed in Bible prophecy. And I've mentioned this in past programs that I don't believe that they were focusing on the people of the Catholic Church themselves, but rather the system of Catholicism centered in the supposed infallible authority of a man named the Pope, or titled the Pope. Luther himself was Catholic for a long time, and most of the early Protestants were Catholics. They started out as Catholics, they were sincere Catholics, and as they listened to Luther's preaching and read his tracts, and read his Bible that was translated into German. And then as the Reformation spread and as different other people uh, picked up the torch and began to preach the Word of God, it was Catholics who eventually decided to leave the Roman Church because of what they learned about Jesus and what they learned about Bible prophecy. So I don't believe that the third angel's message is an attack on Catholic people per se, but it's looking at the system, a system which claims authority to change uh, the Bible Sabbath into Sunday and to bring in many other traditions. So Luther finally concluded that the Roman church was the little horn described in Daniel 7 that would think to change times and laws. 
and that it was the beast described in the book of Revelation. This conviction grew all over Europe, into England, and even into America in the early days prior to the last 100 years when there has been a major change in prophetic interpretation. So Luther and his associates, they knew who the little horn was, and they believed that the Roman church was the beast, but they didn't understand the Sabbath. It wasn't quite time yet for that reformation. So Luther and his associates and countless other Protestants, they still kept the Roman Catholic Sunday. But now here we are 500 years later. We're down in the end times, and now it's time to finish the Reformation. I've mentioned this verse in previous programs. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 is very important. And it says that the words of the book of Daniel are sealed up, closed and sealed, until the time of the end. And in the time of the end, it says that knowledge shall increase. And knowledge is increasing right now. It's happening all over the world as people study Bible prophecy. Daniel 7 verse 25 talks about this little horn that not only would have a mouth speaking great things and make war on the saints, but verse 25 says that it would think to change times and laws. And the only commandment of God's law about time is the seventh-day Sabbath. And this is the time when prophecy is unfolding. This is the time when the three angels' messages are growing. This is the time when knowledge is increasing all over the world. And now it's time to finish the Protestant Reformation to come back all the way to the Bible, back to Jesus, back to the Word of God, and back to the true Seventh-day Sabbath, which has been changed by the Roman Catholic Church. This morning at 5 a.m., I received quite a wake-up call. I remember it very clearly. I was sleeping peacefully next to my wife, Kristen, in our home in North Idaho. And suddenly I heard a loud rooster crow. Now, we don't have any roosters. We have three dogs, we have three cats, we have three fish. There's a lot of deer that uh, often come into our backyard. Just this morning, we also had a group of turkeys wander in. We have, we're surrounded by a lot of wildlife, but we don't have any chickens or roosters. Neither do our neighbors. Uh, they don't come into our yard ever. So at five in the morning, I heard this loud cock-a-doodle-doo. And I was awake uh, instantly, and I, I remember saying, what was that? And then my wife rolled over and grabbed her phone. She clicked it off, and then she said, sorry. And evidently what happened was somehow last night when she set her phone alarm, she mistakenly set it to rooster. And as soon as she said, sorry, I forgave her and then rolled back over and went to sleep. And my point is this, that in these last days, God himself has set an alarm in his word. That alarm is designed to wake us up and to help us to understand the real issues in the time of the end, in the last days prior to the coming of Jesus. And God's alarm in these last days is the three angels' messages that tell us about the everlasting gospel in verse 6, that tell us we're in the time of judgment in verse 7, that appeal to us to worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it at the end of verse 7. In verse 8, that warn about Babylon and its, its wine that the whole world drinks 
And in verse 9, it warns about the beast and its deadly mark. And then in verse 12, it appeals to us to become part of a group of people called the saints who keep the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus. And it's significant to realize that the very last word of the three angels' messages is found in verse 12. At the end of verse 12, and the word is Jesus. And what this means is that Jesus has the last word. What he says has the last word. He is really the center of the book of Revelation. He's the one who gave us the three angels' messages. And as we studied in past programs, Jesus said that he was the Lord even of the Sabbath day. Jesus said nothing about the first day of the week. There's no statement of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John anywhere that says anything about keeping Sunday. It's just not there. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins to save us by his grace. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says sin is breaking God's law. And that's why Jesus died. He died because we've sinned and broken the Ten Commandments. He died because we've had other gods before God, which is the first commandment. He died because we've had idols, which is the second commandment. He died because we've taken God's name in vain, which is the third commandment. He died because we broke the Sabbath, which points to our maker, which is really Jesus. He's the one who made heaven and earth. That's the fourth commandment. He died because we haven't honored our parents, honor your father and mother, which is the fifth commandment. He died because we've committed murder or hatred in our hearts, which is the sixth commandment. He died because we've committed adultery or sexual sin. We've gotten involved in pornography or whatever other sexual deviation is rampant in this world. That's the seventh commandment. He died because we've stolen something somewhere, which is commandment number eight. Commandment number nine says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. He died because we've lied and haven't told the truth. The 10th commandment says, do not covet. Jesus died because we've coveted the things of this world above our relationship with God. The 10 commandments are summarized in the New Testament that we are to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And on a cruel cross, Jesus Christ, our Savior, paid the price because we haven't loved God, we haven't loved our neighbor, we haven't kept his commandments because we've committed sin, and that's why Jesus suffered and agonized and gave his life. And he's calling to us to come back to him, to confess our sins, to believe in him as our Savior, and by his grace and through his power to keep all of the Ten Commandments including the fourth, which is about the true Sabbath of Jesus instead of Sunday. Sunday, which is a mark of the authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Our next and final program in this series is called The Final Choice. I'll go into more detail about the time that is coming according to Revelation 13, 16, and 17, when no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. I'll talk about Sunday legislation, about Sunday laws, which are building right now as a result of pressure coming from the Roman Catholic Church in Italy, in Germany, in Poland, throughout Europe. And it is even being discussed right now in America by major news networks. In the last program, we'll focus on the truth of God's word. We'll focus on God's last reformation before Jesus comes. I hope that you won't miss 
our grand finale. You've been listening to The Protestant Reformation Then and Now with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. To learn more about this topic, order your copy of the inexpensive pocketbook titled Decoding the Mark of the Beast by calling 1-800-78-BIBLE, by ordering online at whitehorsemedia.com, or by purchasing the ebook on amazon.com.